Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Album versus Album. I'm your co-host, Kale Judy, and with me, as always, is the Matthew McConaughey to my Kate Winslet, Lucas Lorenz. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> I'm so confused by <laughs> that one. Well, it was that or well, I'll do my other one. Okay. No, no, it was good. It was like good. That? I like it. I like that it. one. Well, yeah, and welcome again. I want to just. I also want to welcome you to Album versus Album. This is a podcast where we take an artist, uh, two out al- two albums by one artist, and we pit them against each other in a battle to the death. And to help us do that this week is my co-host Kale's only brother, Mason Judy. Welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Yeah, it's the gentlest cage match you've had so far. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, there's uh, I just like making it sound like it's tough. But uh, why don't uh, Kale? Why don't you? Uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about your brother? Just in case you know, people listening don't know. I know it all, but just yeah. I'd be happy. Just to in know. case. Great to have you on the show, bro. So Mason uh, is currently residing in Seattle, Washington. He is a psychotherapist. He is a writer, an occasional musician. And yes, he is also uh, also my brother. Uh, and he's also got a move coming up to Pittsburgh this fall to start Whoa. his PhD program. Steel, Steel City. From, from Rain City to Steel City. That's called the Rust. That's called the Rust Move. Outstanding bills, a cracked up compass and a pocket watch, some plastic daffodils, cutlery and coffee cups. I stole the weaker thans, one of the choppiest guitar bands I know of, uh, and I'll get into that later. What I mean by that. But I'm very curious because this is not just Mason's choice. This was kind of both your choice, right? I would say this is more more Mason's choice, but I had a feeling that this would be one that Mason would go for. And Mason, why the weaker then? I really want to hear what what is your uh, connection? Well, why'd you choose them and what's your connection to this band? Well, it's... uh, I remember... When I was right after we graduated, I graduated high school. Um, we used to live in Brandon, Manitoba, so it was uh, about an hour and a half, two hours from Winnipeg. Um, right after high school, we moved to Vancouver Island, um, Comox Valley, and I remember going to Bop City Records. I had to Google that because I forgot the name of it, but uh, and that's I would just you know go in there sometimes and buy CDs. Um, and there was two bands I remember distinctly like buying their CDs at the store and then just deciding they were going to be my favorite bands without really knowing much about them or listening to them a whole lot. Like you just bought the CD because you saw it? Yeah, I just bought the CD because I Ugh, saw it. Those um, the glory days of music, man. So, I, well, yeah, and I was like, I was like, okay, I'm going to like the Velvet Underground because I really wanted it to be, have a favorite band that was just like, just cool. Like, it was like, that's like just a band that's cool. No one will ever tell me that's not a cool band to like, like. And then I just decided, I think I, I bought Reconstruction Site, um, I think because of the cover. And then, I mean, I was just, yeah, I just got, I got hooked. Um, but I remember deciding I was going to like The Weaker Thans as my favorite band before I actually really listened to them hmm. because I was, I just wanted, I think, you know, the, the insecurity of, uh, being like 17 and just wanting a favorite band. So I'm like, well, this is, this is it. This is going to be one of my favorite bands. That's um, kind of amazing, man. I wish people would do that with more things in the world. Yeah. Like my, like my music. <laughs> I decided this is my favorite now. So when you bought the album, was it, do you remember being glad you made that choice when you put the music on or were you disappointed? Oh, I was, yeah, I was really glad. And I worked, um, I had this job. I worked at a, there's a big cadet base um, on uh, the spit, goose spit point. Uh, it's been a while since I thought about Courtney uh, or Comox, but uh, 
yeah, so I would I would work nights and like clean up the cafeteria and the kitchen, and I just had like a big. I had a disc man, which I actually still have that disc man. Um, I just like stuffed it in like a pocket and I would just listen to that album like on repeat, like over and over and over again when I was washing, uh, washing the floors. So you um, must've had an anti-skip, a pretty good anti-skip uh, disc man at that oh point. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. For, for you to be, be, be able to do physical activity with it. I know. I know. It was, it was over $200. Yeah. Oh, damn, dude. Was it one of those waterproof ones? <laughs> Just flex with the disfit, you know? Not quite. You got, the, you got the MP3 capability, too, you know? So if you want to burn a big 700 megabyte. Oh, this is the, this is the peak. This is the peak right before the big fall. Yeah. So you just have, like, pretty fond memories of this album then, too. Or of a reconstruction site. This is a reconstruction site, yeah. And then I, you know, and then I started buying their other albums. And, I mean, I think what's you know, what's kept me hooked on um, them as a band. I mean, I'd say in a lot of ways, you know, John K. Sampson, who's really like at the heart of, um, you know, the, the writing. I'd be curious to see what you both think about that too. Um, um, I know we're not talking about his, his solo stuff, but I mean, his last album was like, you know, it was everyone except Stephen Carroll recorded on it. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's like a combination of, um, just really good songwriting and and for me i really like you know narrative narrative driven um lyrics um and there's a lot of world building that he's done um with his with his music that sort of carried through but i don't know it's just it's it's charming um and there's something yeah there's something like there's a nostalgia to it that i think when i talk to a lot of people they're like oh yeah this is a band i really liked in college or i remember going kale and i were going to see the weekend ends and play at the Commodore Ballroom back when you could go to see live music. And we saw a guy we knew from from our university and uh, he was there with like his younger brother and he's like, oh yeah, my younger brother really likes Weekend End, so that's why I'm coming. And, you know, he was young. This guy was younger than me and his younger brother was like, you know, in high school or whatever. But for me, it's just like, I don't know, I just continue to come back to these albums um, again and again and, and find, I don't know, find new stuff or... Just for me, it's like a really just kind of rich experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kale, do you mind if I sandwich myself between your two stories? Yeah, of course. Because mine is so interestingly similar in that I would go to this record store. You've heard about this record store a few times, Kale, but whenever I got paid, I'd go to the same A&B Sound in Surrey Central Skytrain Station. I'd get uh, payday Friday. I'd go and I'd buy like four CDs. I was like, what? I, all I was allowed to, and I'd only really listen to those four CDs, kind of like with some, um, you know, with some other stuff uh, jammed in there. But on my transit back and forth to work, I'd always listen to them. And I just had heard about the Weaker Thans somehow, and uh, you know the name. But the first one I ever bought was um, Reconstruction Site, and I'd heard. Um, the song pamphleteer like once or twice and I liked it, but it, you know, I didn't really, it was like kind of peripheral. So I bought that album just because I was like, well, I've heard the name Weaker Than Ends and the album cover is awesome. And it's interesting as I bought that one and uh, I believe the Mars Volta's first record. And I'm pretty sure uh, broken social scenes for uh, you forgotten people. All, that's all one purchase. But uh, that album, I remember pushing play and just being like, I'm, I'm in, like within like the first 20 seconds. Uh, and the weekend ends have, have, have stuck with me as well. They're a band that's like, I would never say like ever to someone like, oh, my favorite band's weekend ends. But then if you look at like the, the way a lot of bands from that era in my life have lasted, I do not listen to most of those bands as much as I still do the weekend ends. So revisiting these albums was actually really enjoyable. And uh, yeah, I'm like, I'm kind of shocked as we will get into this, but I'm kind of like shocked. I'm like, I like, I love this almost as much as I used to. So, uh, so yeah, so I'm glad you chose it. I'm very, I'm very comfortable in this space. There's been a few ones where I'm like challenged, but this one I'm like, it's like a cozy, uh, like I'm, I'm sitting across from you guys in like a cozy jacuzzi with a beer in my hand, you know, metaphorically. I was thinking about you wrapped up in a Snuggie. I just saw those oh. at the grocery store. I forgot about those. <laughs> <laughs> What's the price on those now these days? I could get you one for... Well. <laughs> oh, you know a guy? You, gotta, <laughs> you know the backdoor deals? Conver- conversion rate is, yeah. Have to check. 
So I'm assuming there's some brotherly connection here or? Yeah, I would say there definitely is. The Weaker Thens for sure came into my life through Mason. I don't remember exactly when you showed them to me, but I do remember being on the island in Courtney and you played me Reconstruction Site. Because the cover for Reconstruction Site is also their most evocative out of all their their records. And I remember you showed oh, me the cover yeah. and I'm like, oh, this is cool. And then playing me the songs. And I was like, being into it. Rolling cables slick with beer to hang up on the broken stands. The house lights lit our injuries for crowds of plastic cups. I wasn't as into them back in the day as maybe I kind of remembered myself being. I remember really liking them, but I remember not being as engaged with them as I know you were, Miss. But really admiring the songwriting. And there is something even from like the first listen, like John K. Sampson's voice. And re-listening to these records was so fun because his voice isn't crazy, but as soon as you put on one of those songs, you're like, oh yeah, it's John K. Sampson. Like you just know it's him. It's only only the weaker thens. It can only be the weaker thens. It's wild. He's got such a distinctive voice and a songwriting style, but it's also so uniquely his own. Um, even though it also like like it's strange because they sound like a band from the mid late two thousands, kind of, but not really. They sort of existed outside of the emo genre, the punk genre, but they kind of existed within it too. And really liked them. I remember really liking Reconstruction Site and listening to Reunion Tour when it came out. And it was interesting because that show that Mason you talked about. That was the same night that you helped me move into my apartment in Vancouver, like the exact same night. Like you helped me load in my last box. Then we hopped in the car and then we went, went down to the Commodore and watched the Weekend Then show, which is still something I remember super well. That would have been the reunion tour tour? I think that would have been the reunion because that would have been in 2007. But yeah, it's also interesting for me because I feel like listening to this band, not getting as into them in while living in the prairies as i got older when i would come back to these records they came to embody the sound of the prairies for me more uh, because that of, makes because of all the lyrical me. content but it's interesting because at the time getting into them we were living on vancouver island so almost weirdly like think about them in association with that place but then as i got to know the music more and you get to know what he's writing about and just all the characters he's writing about set in winnipeg in manitoba his cat yeah. They're not a band that I have as clear a Genesis story of, but I they're a band I associate with you, Mason, very much, and also a band that I've always really liked. And I think revisiting them now, similar to what you said, Lucas, there's so much there's so much meat on the bone with these songs, and there's so many different yeah. facets to them that I found listening to Left and Leaving and Reunion Tour, there's so much going on in there to kind of dig into. And I think that's one of the reasons they've they've aged so well is that there is so much for your ear to gravitate towards. Like the songs are so well constructed musically and tonally, but also obviously the writing has so much to it. And I'm looking forward to digging into that a bit more. And I know we don't have like a specific lyrical section for like our verses episodes, but definitely want to be calling out his lyrics. Yeah. I mean, he is, he's, he's like, it's not like I wouldn't just call him like he's, he's, he's a poet for sure. He's like, he, if he's not, he should be Winnipeg's poet laureate because he really raps Winnipeg hard. Well, like in the same way that Bruce Springsteen kind of says, like, look at America's flaws, yet he's also like, I'm so proud to be an American. I kind of see John Johnny K as like, he's sort of like ashamed and proud of Winnipeg at the same time because that's like a true citizen sees it all, you know? Um, and but, but he's also, it's almost like sometimes he's writing op-eds, you know? It's not like poetry. It's like really interesting some of the things he does lyrically. I've always, I, I found when I was younger, he made me feel kind of like the same way like when you're like an eight-year-old and you're flipping through a Sears catalog and you come across all the women in their bras and it's kind of like, oh, this is, uh, this feels wrong but exciting. But int- I've, it's felt intriguing and uh, being like, you know, I don't know, 16, 17, I was like, oh, I feel like he's throwing these big ideas about like, class and uh, relationships a little bit about like religion and and 
uh, worldviews and and I, I always felt a little bit like I was a little bit like peeking into like what maturity was going to be because I was like, you know, this guy's, I don't know how much older he is. He felt much m- more mature. And so I always felt like I was peeking a little bit into like the next phase of adulthood in a way that I wasn't supposed to. Am I making any sense with that? Yeah, I think <laughs> You're the, both the, looking the, at me like I'm crazy. No, no. The Sears, I just, that, that came up recently with a friend of the Sears catalog bra section, um, <laughs> but kind of a different context. I don't know if you can get in the podcast, but. Yeah. I got to the point when I was there, I could recognize the different models. Um, I was thinking mm. about, you know, you get a couple pages in, you're like, oh, yeah, I, I remember you. Um, I remember you from page 212. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. He was the Poet Laureate um, in Winnipeg. He was? Um, or that was supposed to be a joke. Arts Commissioner. Um, yeah, so he, he has, he has uh, had a, a, a role um, in promoting the arts for Winnipeg. But yeah, oh, that's awesome. He also, uh, on the back of a book that Mason and I both own, the lyrics and poems of John K. Sampson, Miriam Taves says, John K. Sampson is the prairie poet voice of my generation. He's, I've always kind of thought of him as like the way that people just love Gord Downey. It's like he's like a more subdued, uh, quiet, um, like the same sort of Canadian pride, uh, but but it, it's a more gentle uh, approach to all of it. And I just, um, you know, once we were on tour, and I don't remember the band we were staying with, but they're like, oh, um, John K. Sampson is our, is our neighbor. And like, that's the weaker events tour van. And we were like, we're too young and stupid to think of anything else to do, but just put a February sticker on the van. So we were like, <laughs> we put a sticker on the weaker events tour van. <laughs> we thought we were so cool. But it was interesting because they told us all these stories about how like, He's like now that I'm older, I realize like he's less of a rock star than I had made him up to be. But in my mind, he was like up there with all my other favorite, you know, like I love like Ben Gibbard and and Bright Eyes and like uh, Dashboard Confessional and like Screamo bands. I had him up there with those bands. Um, and so I kind of was like, whoa, these stories of him like hanging out and just talking to people. And I was like, that's crazy because how could a rock star be that down earth? Uh, now you know. I'm, now I'm realizing the scale of of their career and, and stuff is is different than I perceived. But um, yeah, and, and I only saw them live once uh, with on tour with the uh, the uh, Constantines, which I know is also a band you guys love. And uh, it was a reconstruction site, and I think Shine a Light had both come out, so it's a big tour at the Mesa Luna. And I remember him hanging out like late, and people were talking to him, which just felt weird to me. It was like you're not supposed to be approachable, dude. You're supposed to be like too cool for us yeah, i actually got him to sign the book that i have um oh, when cool. i saw him play um here at the tractor tavern um and but yeah I was, he was behind the merch table and right before the set and i just saw him and i like <laughs> stood in front of him which i think kind of freaked him out a little bit because i was like he was trying to walk but then i was like you know blurted out something this or that i get so nervous talking to people that i that i admire um Me too. but i was like i grew up in brandon he's like oh why are you, why are you here um like he was like, oh, okay. Like, why? Yeah, why? Like, why do you live here now? He's like, that's weird. He kind of just like, yeah, kind of. It's a question actually. A lot more people have been asked. A lot more Americans have been asking me that question um, last couple of years too. Seemed like a really warm, approachable guy. Totally. And seeing that that show, especially like his stage presence, was just so much more relaxed. And he talked about singing. He was like, this is like the first time I've like sung without holding a guitar. And everyone there was just like just really excited. But I think I'd never thought about the Gord Downey comparison, but I can totally see that. I mean, I wouldn't say that he's like, yeah. I mean, the, the other thing I want to say, because I always thought this was so cool, is the first thing I ever heard about this band was, oh, this is the bass player. He was the bass player for Propagandi before he started this band. And I was like, this guy's so punk rock. Yeah. Mason, did you have, did you have that association with John K. Sampson? Because I know you're also a big Propagandi fan. I am. I didn't have that up front when I first started listening to the Weaker Thans, but um, yeah, I remember uh, when I was reading the Exclaim does has a really good um, history of propaganda um, where they interview John K. Sampson and he talks about essentially like you know like how he learned. Basically, one of the things he learned from being in that band was like to write good songs. So don't don't settle for writing like mediocre songs. You know, he was doing he was doing what would become the Weaker Than's 
you know, some of the songs on the first album on the side when he was, he was in that band and I guess it didn't really fit and they kind of, kind of parted ways. Um, but yeah, I didn't really, I didn't have that. certainly didn't have the association um, for a while um, with, with propaganda. The other time I got close to him was uh, when the Februarys were touring with the plain white tees. We played a show in Winnipeg and we didn't have a sound guy. And they said, you know, we can get this guy in to do sound. And the, the person was like, no, no, no. He like did sound for some punk band called Propagandi. And I was like, yes, bring him in. And so he was kind of like, all right, you dumb kids. Like, I'll do your sound for you, whatever. And I was like, I just want, I wanted him to be our sound guy so I could ask him questions about like, because he toured with like Propagandi, but also the weaker things. And uh, I just wanted to like rack his brain. But mostly the guy was like, all right, you like 20 two-year-old like get get out of my face let me do my job but he just he was like he basically had nothing bad to say and was like uh as much of a fan as a as a friend you know so those are those are my close encounters with the weaker than kind mm. but uh i never got as close as you did you got to smell the musk <laughs> that winnipeg musk I think he was also surprised that I had the book. I think that was another thing that I found charming. <laughs> it's a lot. Okay. Okay, so let's go through the albums. Okay, let's go through the albums. So, uh, first off, we have Fallow from The Weaker Thens, released in 1997. Second, we have uh, Left and Leaving, released in 2000. Third, we have Reconstruction Site, released in 2003. And finally, we have Reunion Tour, released in 2007. And as a bonus, there's also the Live at the Burton Cummings Theater, which was released in 2010. And as we're saying, if you do count the the, the Jim Bryson record, it's um, the Falcon Lake incident was the, that same year, 2010. Interesting. But uh, I, I'm with you, Mason. I don't, I don't really count it. But the true the true four studio albums are those four yeah. right there. So um, current members as well, um, just, you know, if we're talking about anyone else in the band, probably mostly we'll be talking about John K. Sampson, but just to sort of give a shout out to the other guys. Uh, the current members are John K. Sampson, lead vocals, songwriter and guitar, Jason Tate, drums, percussion, vibraphone and keyboards, uh, Stephen Carroll, guitar, pedal and lap steel and keyboards, and Greg Smith on bass. And, and, as musicians, all really like unique players. Like Stephen Carroll, especially, I find his guitar playing is uniquely weaker than it's. It's like somewhere between punk and country, with like this real distinct choppiness. He always is putting space in between his melodies, and I, I really appreciate. It. Like, there's a lot of real signature parts when you hear a song. Uh, as much as you appreciate the vocals, there's a lot of times where like the, the guitar elevates the song in a way that not a lot of lead guitars can do. So I want to give him props. I would say the same thing for Greg Smith, but uh, you know, mo- mostly I want to highlight that. And and what a like that's a pretty long career to basically only have basically one member, you know, one bass player leave or be replaced. You know, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool when a band sticks together. Kind of like the Arcade Fire we were talking about a few episodes ago. It's like the band uh, benefits from that a lot, I think. Musicians benefit from staying together and and knowing each other. Just look at the Rolling Stones. (laughs) And Lucas, do you think that benefit is because they just learn each other so well or do you think it's the fact that the short that there's like a shorthand there or kind of what do you think that is out of curiosity comfortability and like uh being able to predict each other and but also yeah like the shorthand and then um knowing each other's strengths and weaknesses and i just think like you're kind of building like a musical house together every time you build a song a small house and to know where you can help someone or where you can kind of like take some liberty is it's a pretty it's a pretty fine art form it's pretty hard to get this good at it so today we are talking about their second and fourth records that's right uh, left and leaving 
which would be probably Canada's biggest quote-unquote emo export, I think, right? I mean, I don't think there's any bigger emo export than uh, Left and Leaving, I Wait in 4-4 Time. That was so many MSN handles uh, in my life. <laughs> and we're also talking about their final uh, Weaker Thans Only studio album reunion tour. Yeah, and Mason, maybe you could tell us a little bit about why you chose Left and Leaving and Reunion Tour as I think these are great selections, but interesting to not go with Reconstruction Site, which I think many would argue. Which was all our entry point. Yeah. Yeah, it was the entry point. I mean, I think, um, like, Fallow, Fallow for me is, like, um, and I have, like, John K. Sampson's, like, tape um, and his Little Bridges EP, and Fallow is, like, a pretty direct extension, I think, of those. Um, musically, like, it just feels like kind of, you know, there's some there's some pretty amazing songs, but it kind of the production's not great. It's kind of sloppy. It's like I don't know. And left and leaving, I mean, is the one really where it's like most people are like, like you said, Lucas. I mean, that's just like kind of the big record. Those are kind of the, in some ways. Um, so I think like left and leaving feels like where they really got like a maturity and solidity as a band. Um, and I thought it'd be more interesting to look at reunion tour. <clears throat> because it's like, you know, it's sort of, at least it's, it's the sort of the bookend, but in a lot of ways, like to me, it's like, it's a very tight record in a way that reconstruct or reconstruction site isn't as tight of a record. Um, and I think, I think it just, it's like kind of an interesting pairing. And I think there's a couple like, um, thematic parallels too, between the two that I, that I think are, I think that, that make for a better comparison in some ways like reconstruction site. I mean, it has some great jams, um, but some of the, especially some of the the music or the tunes too, like the, the the lyrics are pretty like surrealist. And granted, I mean having one one great city, which maybe I don't know, might might vie with um, left and leaving for for their most popular song. Yeah, those those are probably their grand thesis statements. Would be those two songs, I think. But it was, I think. I mean, I, I don't know this. It's just my hunch, but it's like that. It was a commer- reconstruction site was like their commercial success, right? So like, what that was out on Epitaph. That was yeah. kind of when they like broke. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think uh, Retired Explorer Dines with uh, Michelle Foucault was like, you know, they had the penguins and the music yeah, video. That and- silly penguin music video. <laughs> <laughs> so silly. So yeah, I think I wanted to take like the big record, and then in some ways, I think which for me, like yeah, Reunion Tour is one where I'm like, it's such a great great record and such a tight record in a way that yeah. I don't think any of their other ones are. Well, it's interesting too, that uh, their most played song is sun, sun in an empty room. And I don't know if that's because it's the theme song to that podcast heavyweight where it's like uh, pretty big. It's one of the big Gimlet podcasts, you know, um, uh, Jonathan Goldstein who did wiretap for CBC. Okay. He has heavyweight. It's a, it's a great podcast. It's like, there's like four or five seasons that are just every episode's a, a lovely story. It always ends with that song. I don't know if that's why that song's had like a special bump because I would never assume that that's their like most listened to tune. But it is, I mean, it's a great song. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's, it's only the weaker thens could make that song. Um, one of the notes I wrote down about this band is that they're kind of like a lackluster punk rock. Or the other way I said it was, um, Punk rock's never been so gentle mm-hmm. <laughs> without being uh, too emo, you know? So I don't know, but I, I do. I, I love that song. And it, but it's their most played on Spotify by, by quite a bit. Huh. Uh, I'll tell you right now the number. It's It's got a one million more than the uh, next two songs. I almost wonder if that's probably because, yeah, it probably got on a playlist or something, I imagine. Like maybe someone, <laughs> yeah, who, probably. someone who listens to... Maybe someone who listens to that podcast just like threw it on a, I don't know, a mix. But yeah, that is, it was interesting to me too that that one was so high. Yeah. And even like, all, honestly, all the songs, their top like songs, Left and Leaving in One Great City, not shocked to see that. But Plea from a Cat Named Ver, how do you say it? Virtute? Virtute? I just, I, I was wondering that before this. I forgot to look it up. I just say, I, Virtue is what I say in my head, but. Me too. I actually never knew it was Virtute or whatever until I looked again. And I was like, oh, I was, yeah. It's like a Berenstain Bears thing. 
Um, I was surprised to see that up there, and I was surprised to see a side from Left and Leaving up there. I was like, oh, that's really strange. Well, a side, well, I think I makes a little more sense because that was in Wedding Crashers, which I didn't realize until doing some research for this. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I think but I, I definitely thought that our retired explorer would have been on there. But anyway, it's, you know, I'm not Spotify algorithms, so I don't know. So which album are we going to start with? I think let's start with uh, Left and Leaving. Let's start with like the... The, uh, the early second record, and then we'll uh, kind of go chronologically. Sure. Sound good? Sounds great. Fast facts, fast facts, fast facts. All right. Left and Leaving was recorded between February and April in 2000. It is the second studio album by The Weaker Thans, uh, released on July 25th, 2000 on G7 Welcoming Committee Records. It was nominated for Alternative Album of the Year at the 2001 Juno Awards. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. And the band's current label, Epitaph, re-released Left and Leaving along with Fallow in 2007. And the record clocks in at a cool 51 minutes and 46 seconds. That's Fast Facts. Fast Facts. I mean, yeah, what a record. Like, this is one of those records when you find someone else who knows this record and loves this record, it's always like a moment where you're both like, aw. What I mean by that is uh, Rena's cousin got married, and he married this wonderful woman who's also a musician. Her name's Kim, and one time we were all hanging out with a guitar. This is in Nova Scotia. She's from Saskatchewan. She's like, play a song that we both know. And I was like, I don't know, what do you know? She's like, do you know the Wicker Thens? And then we like jammed on Left and Leaving. And there's this like really uh, great connecting moment for all of us as like Canadians, you know? It's like this thing we kind of all own and love. And he, somehow the Wicker Thens have this kind of like, it's cool, but it's also kind of got this tender spot in the hearts of a lot of people who follow them. And uh, I, I really think that's a... It probably wasn't intentional, but there's a very fine line that I feel most of their music walks, where when you're a fan, it's uh, it holds this uh, dichotomy of being kind of like cool, but also like your soft side appeals to it, your your emotional, introspective side, in a way that's not like uh, dashboard confessional emo or um, you know you're not uh, wallowing in misery, but you're you're thinking critically about the breakup that happened or you're like sort of having fun poking at your own uh your own weaknesses i think sometimes it's almost it's so canadian and it's also so good and i think that's something that is a little bit of a rarity sometimes where there's a band that's like yes it's not good for canada it's good for anywhere and it happens to be all about canada which i think is really cool and the other thing I think to what you said, Lucas, is like uh, Dan Ozzie, who writes for Vice, has a great thing about this. But the idea that how the Weaker Thans made having emotions cool, they weren't emo, but they had the idea of processing emotions, being aware of them. And they could almost go right up against the line of being almost too saccharine or sentimental, but not, but not quite. They didn't cross that line, but they would kind of get close to it. But they could they pushed people that were coming from the punk community to being like, oh, yeah, it's okay to have feelings, man. Have a mug of tea and like, <laughs> let's talk, you know? And so, Mason, do you think, uh, this is my kind of thought on this record, but this is their most emotionally driven record. It's the closest to, quote-unquote, emo, the, the closest that they ever go with that direction. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, I think what you're saying, I think some of the staying power that I, that I think or that I appreciate with the, you know, on the... The lyric side of it is just how how rooted you know John K. Sampson's writing is in liter like literature. Um, and he has you know epigraphs, you know, in the albums, um, you know, in the book. The first track is based on a Raymond Carver short story, and and so I think I know it's interesting because I was thinking about the album. In some ways, I think it does. There's almost I would say it's more abstract than some of the other than compared to like reunion tour. There's an abstraction there, but it's like trying to work through a lot of different kinds of distress. 
like one of the lines, one of the lines that ju- has jumped out to me in listening to it again was like the breathe. The, this is a fire door never leave open was like breathe in 40 years of failing to describe a feeling. And yeah, like, I noticed that one too. As a therapist too, I'm like, Oh, you know, like, you know, and I do my own therapy and it's like, there is this kind of awareness of like this sort of pain and there's angst. Um, but at the same time, it's almost, there's a, maybe there's more of a perspective on it. You're thinking about um, someone who's 40 and just being tired. And, and uh, I think with a lot of, a lot of other like punk or emo music that I listen to is more like, like, you know, I just, I just hate life and I don't know what to do. I'm just going to crash my car into a tree. Um, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Like, I love that you brought that line, Miss, because that's one that really stuck out to me. That whole song feels so true and also very true of at the prairies, I think, like this idea that you just kind of, you know, keep you steady on, like you just kind of buckle down, like, you know, don't let, like, you don't let things bother you, but you don't acknowledge what's bothering you, you know, but that feels very prairies to me. I wouldn't know. I'm a coastal boy. But the idea that he's being so specific about these feelings like he's not being general. He's he's being so specific about this person and what they're feeling in a way that makes it feel very universal, you know? Like that idea of not being able to articulate your feelings or be open emotionally. Uh, like, you know, like the way he's describing it, you're like, you can see that in the character in the song, but then it also, I just feel like I see myself in that song too. When you talk about specificity, man, like, I mean, this is this is gonna come up at one point, no matter what we did and I I'm gonna claim it and I'm sorry because you probably all wanted to read these lyrics but the ones that I remember the first time I heard them giving me like a like a I was full of the Holy Spirit moment is uh, in pamphleteer where he says how I don't know what I should do with my hands when I talk to you how you don't know where you should look look so you look at my hands like i remember someone telling me about those lyrics before i even heard them and, re- and recalling it when i finally heard the song and um he that's to be able to so simply talk about that awkward uh re- relational experience it's like there's there's so much in that little stanza that just is uh like I, who said it's a, it's rich it's um a lot of meat on the bone and that's a seven layer dip you know what i mean like there's just so much that everyone can get out of that line it's funny it's sad it's awkward it's kind of like beautiful too cuz of the uh, like the innocence in it i i don't know it's 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 that line has stuck with me for well i don't know so it's stuck with me for 21 years. Yep. Wow. Yeah, I think I think it also speaks to like a part of the poetry of you know his writing, like how it's distilled. You know, these moments are distilled. But I think there's also something too with like he's very self-consciously writing about characters, and in a way that I don't know that I'll I don't know how many other bands were or were kind of thinking in those terms about, um, you know, like this song's about a specific person doing something a specific thing. And it's not necessarily related to me, um, which I think is like kind of the, the literature overlap again. There's a, there's a Geist article by a guy named Paul Tuff. It's called city still breathing, listening to the weaker thens. And his sister lives in Winnipeg and he lives in New York. And the whole article is about him falling in love with the weaker thens while living in New York city. And he talks about a few different concepts I think are really present in Left and Leaving. It's also interesting because when he wrote this, uh, I can't find the date on this essay, but he wrote it right when Left and Leaving came out. So, you know, Reconstruction wasn't out yet, and he was listening to the first two records. There wasn't a lot he knew about them, but he talks about how he wrote down a couple lines from Left and Leaving on a piece of paper and put them on his fridge in New York City. Um, my city's still breathing, but barely it's true through buildings gone missing like teeth. And 
he says, when I wrote them down and magneted them up on my fridge last fall, it was because they felt to me as though they were about New York during its season of loss, even though I knew they were not. They were about Winnipeg. Every weaker than song is about Winnipeg. And then a little later, he... Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he, he talks... So he goes to Winnipeg and he's friends with Miriam Taves. And so he hangs out with Miriam Taves and her husband and they go see like two weaker than shows. Uh, in Winnipeg, they were doing like, they did four nights back to back to back in different venues around the city. And so he interviews John K. Sampson before um, the second show that he goes to. And so he's talking to him about going for a walk after coming home from tour and seeing this motel that was burning near a park. And he'd never noticed the hotel before. But when he saw the hotel burning, he was sad that it was burning and that it would be gone, even though he hadn't appreciated it before. And he, he talks a lot about that idea. You talked about Lucas earlier of like hating Winnipeg and wanting to leave, but also because of that, he's like, that's why I also want to stay and and write about it, this idea. And he says, John, he, so he asks him about why he writes about Winnipeg so much. And John K. Sampson says, it's that idea that there are stories and there are people in my life here that are like that burning building I described. I think it's the point of what we do to try to express those stories and to make the lives of those people relevant if we can well he's kind of like woody allen you know the new york's always the fifth character or whatever <laughs> like this guy has written so many songs and and almost every time there's either a reference you know like to the specter haunting albert street or just something like saint boniface or like just there's always something where you know it's uh he, he's still writing from winnipeg and he's still I mean, I mean, that's the thing. You, you write what you know. It's the idea, right? And this guy clearly knows Winnipeg, so that's what he's written. Hey, Mason, do you ever feel when you listen to the Weaker Thans, does it ever make you? Does it ever make you miss the prairies? Like, do you think about the prairies when you listen to the Weaker Thans, or are you just listening to the Weaker Thans? Um, is it kind of there's there's yeah. I mean, I think there's some like element of, of nostalgia with the sort of different different scenes he conjures up. But in a way, but it's funny because it's like a lot of, you know, a lot of what he's writing about isn't necessarily like aren't awesome, you know, situations. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> well, like, but how, how like, when was the last time you wrote down lyrics to a song and put them on your fridge? Or like in my favorite chords where they write notes and put them on, you know, they put them on machines, just like these like small acts of appreciation or kindness or attention, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, I think about the prairies, but, you know, and I think when I was most wrapped up in the prairies was like, you know, living in England and and doing um, like doing a master's program in writing and thinking about the prairies a lot, but actually not physically being there. um, Very different. I think I kind of vacillate between, you know, actually thinking about the particular place that he's singing about or just kind of like, Again, getting lost in like the song and like in some ways the the kind of the Winnipeg he's created um, with the music and the you know the albums. And and you brought up my favorite chords. There's one thing about him I've always been impressed with, and it, it does almost from every album he's ever done. He's got a thing with being able to really like make an object seem special, like. Uh, you know, uh, everything must go. Obviously, he names a bunch of objects, and my favorite chords, he names a bunch. But a lot of songs, he has a part where he names, um, what's one called? A eulogy for um, it's, um, the next uh, on reunion tour. He's talking with the uh, hockey player, and he's uh, all the favorite objects thrown on the ice. He's got this weird thing where he can make objects seem very important, like important enough that you kind of want to be like, I, I want to Google this and see if I'm missing out on what he's getting into. He's got this weird specificity that uh, is enticing, which is a one of my. I, I feel hard to pull off. One of my writing teachers uh, talked about probably other terms for it. The term he used, I remember, was significant detail, and like, yeah, like he has. I think that's part of what Kelly you're saying about the particularity. So he's like these significant op- significant details are kind of reside in these different objects or the um, the Slayer T-shirt in uh, history of the defeated. Absolutely. And that, and that centers you in a place too, you know, like he just seems like 
almost supernaturally gifted at being able to just pick the right detail. Like one totally. one thing I I'd kind of been saving for tasty treats, but it was a line from my favorite chords, uh, where yeah. he says, "I am a faulty string of blue Christmas lights." Just that line yeah. right there, like that says so much. Faulty blue Christmas lights. It's like I can think of the era, I can think of the house. You know what I mean? Like it's just like there's so much. It just like sends like a shock. It's just an image in my brain, but it's imbued with more than just an image. It's like it comes with feelings, you know, in a way that I can't even totally describe. And yeah, he's he's very good at it. Speaking of tasty treats, why don't we jump into that? Why don't we talk about some of our favorite moments on this record? A tasty treat for us, it's always sort of being redefined and, and, and reshaped. But the best way to talk about a tasty treat, I think the best way I can describe it is it's a moment on the record, a specific thing that happens that you just, every time it happens, you enjoy it or you notice it. I uh, I came up I, yeah well I mentioned a couple I think of some of the lyrics that jumped out of me on left and leaving but um, well this this kind of this maps onto my favorite song but I mean you which you already mentioned which is like hard to pick on this art record but pamphleteer but like a tasty treat for me is the intro to pamphleteer because the way that the guitar is it almost it sounds like a pamphlet fluttering in the wind like that's what it makes me think of it's like kind of got this like it's sort of yeah totally the, the vibe of it the sound the way that the, the like way that delay kinda, guitar yeah 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 and i just and then it it goes from that into the the opening chords and it's just every single time it just like it just hits me like right my god yeah that's that's a great uh one that that intro is like iconic every time i hear it i'm just like here we go um yeah i don't have a lot of tasty treats for this record i mean pamphleteer in the chorus, the chords do this like climb up, down, 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 right? But there's this drum part, down, down, down. It's like every time I'm like, that's so weird. Like this is a band that I always think of like as poetic and kind of straightforward, but there's this weird kind of like China crash symbol, down, down, down. That's one of my favorite. It never ceases to uh, get, get, get me in the uh, cojones. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's my tasty treat. I would say the opening to Left and Leaving, the song, always really gets me. Uh, it's very, to me, it's like one of the really well-known songs of this. But I, I was listening to the record during dinner and this song came on and we just finished I was doing the dishes and Laura was upstairs and I came up and she was like oh. she's like left and leaving she's like that song just like took me back like she just had this look in her face like she's like it just like carves out a part of you and I was like oh babe yeah like I was like it does like just you mean like the, just that opening guitar line that just picking the chords yeah and then and, the, and then that's like so simple but so and and just yeah. his delivery of like the sort of almost the higher, even more falsetto, my city's still breathing, but barely it's true. Through buildings gone missing like teeth, the sidewalks are watching me think about you, sparkled with broken glass. I'm back with scars to show. Back with the streets I know will never take me anywhere but here. Again, even that idea of being being never in, take me anywhere. But... but it's just like, but there's almost like this, like I just one thing I really appreciate about his songwriting and those songs is like even though there is this at times sort of dourness or inward looking there's a like and it comes through in the music more in the lyrics in this one but like there's like a hopefulness or like a forward movement definitely yeah that carries me through it and there th there is like an element of like with that song and they have a and i don't know both these records have like some incredible songs that are right at the end of the records which i find interesting like they really like they they save some amazing songs for right to the end which i think which i love but yeah, I would say I, I would say a tasty treat would definitely be the the opening of Left and Leaving just for its 
iconicness and also how I feel like it kind of captures the what this band does so well. And you were in a comeback kid shirt. I was just thinking those lines as you were saying them. You could that could totally be like a hardcore <laughs> band. Um, you just imagine someone just like just shouting those lines. It's yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> basketball shorts. Comeback kid is from Comeback Kids from Winnipeg, and they have the they that's they got a lot of stuff. Yeah, dude, he's wearing the Comeback Kid shirt. You planned that out, didn't oh, you? Oh yeah, for the listeners at home, I have a a Comeback Kid shirt that's in the '90s style Winnipeg Jets logo. It's great. I played uh, the line when I, I I miss the history to the defeated, um, where he says, "Listing what's left." Sign Slayer t-shirt Car up on blocks in his mother's backyard Like that just like, I don't, yeah, one of, that was one of, whenever I hear that too, I'm like, this is like, just, I think it carves out a part of you. Just imagine like, yeah. I imagine like, like me in an alternate life, you know, if I like didn't graduate from high school or like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just, they also just have a really felt like, like that song. Um, but that, that part of the song, I just always, always remember, but that, that song, I like just very physically, like, I just feel it. I also love that. Like, it's not like mainstream culture and he's not making fun of it. You know, he's not mocking it uh, while he describes it. I think that's a really uh, tender thing to balance. And, and I, I love that, like about that song and a few off re- reunion tour as well. Just he like, he kind of can go there without judgment. Mm-hmm. And I like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my second, I only really have two tasty treats for this one. I, I mean, there's so many great guitar parts and stuff, but uh, for me, the song Without Mythologies, which is such a unique and strange song, um, the drums are cool, for sure, but it's also his his lyrical cadence. Like, he he's not just great with words and great with, like, simple songwriting. He also can just, like, push himself to, like, kind of weird places, you know? And that, like... If that was the only song you ever heard by them, you would have a very different idea about what the weaker things were. And so kind of, I guess, Jane I'm saying that song musically is kind of just a tasty treat to my ears overall, but specifically the way the drums and the vocals interact. It's like just sporadic and crazy, almost like caveman-esque or something. It's spooky. I saw them play it live and it's, it's, it spooked me out. That's, that's great. If a band can spook you alive. You know, and they're not like Marilyn Manson. That's that's good. Just with timpanis. Yeah. That's all they need. <laughs> yeah. A song chock full of tasty treats to me is uh, There is a Fire Door Never Leave Open. Love this. I love this song. And yeah, the, great the song. guitar line that comes in uh, after he sings the line. Straight line circle sometimes. That it does that a few times, and that is one of my tastiest treats on the record. Like I, every time that part came on, I just made me smile and made me feel things. I loved it. Well, there's there's some solid jams on the record too. Um, Definitely, like Exiles Among You, Elegy for Elizabeth. But yeah, they can really play, and I think that's something about the Weaker Thans that isn't called out enough. And listening to these records both quite a bit, you're like, these guys are fucking amazing musicians. Yeah, I'd say that probably the jammiest they get, you know, the most they kind of get into it is a reconstruction site where they kind of indulge a bit. It almost works better on this record than that one, I think. So here's in zeros. So uh, this is the part of the show where we describe our heroes, our 
our number one ride or die gems and our zeros. Not songs that we necessarily think are bad, although we may think they're bad, but a zero is a song that doesn't work for us as well as other songs on the record for whatever reason. So we're going to discuss both of those. And why don't we start with uh, the zeros? Lucas, why don't you, why don't sure. you kick this off? Gladly. Okay, this one, lit, like, I, always, I think I say this every time. I'm like, oh, it's really hard to choose a zero. But this one, I, I would listen to the album and think, okay, this one's my least favorite. But then the next time I listen, I'd be like, I love that song. And that happened kind of a few times. But I basically chose uh, the final song, Slips and Tangles, basically because I had to choose one. I don't really have a... I think at that point in the record, uh, it just... There's so many great songs that if that song is a great, great song by them, it just hits less because I've, I'm, it's like I've already had too many, it's like I've eaten too many desserts already. And so <laughs> the chef that made that dessert, it's like, I'm sorry, I'm sure it's delicious, but I can't do it. So that's basically my reasoning. I, I can't really give a better reason. I, I, I love this record. This is a record that I, I, I haven't listened to it probably in about five years and, and, it was like every time I was like, I love this record. So yeah, that's my, that's my zero slips and tangles. Cause I just, I think at that point in the record, in the order of the record, maybe if it was earlier, I'd like it better, but I, not this time around. What about, uh, what about you, Mason? What's your zero? Yeah. Again, it was very hard for me. It was uh, track three watermark um, because it's not a bad track. It just feels kind of redundant. Like it, to me, it sounds kind of like a B side um, or like it belonged on fallow um, because you got everything must go aside. I think aside and watermark are different songs, but they're, but they're kind of similar. Yeah. They're kind of, they're kind of similar. And I think aside is just to my mind, a, like a stronger tune. Um, so if I was going to take, yeah, I would, I would, my zero would be Watermark. Um, I think it was actually a single. My hunch is that it was written earlier, but um, yeah, I don't. I, I I love the song, but I would I would kick it off the record for sure. Interesting. I feel like that actually might be the correct answer. I know that's got me rethinking mine. What's yours, Kale? Just go go with it, Kale. No, you gotta you gotta let us know what you're saying. I did mine, so you have to do yeah. yours. Well, <laughs> yeah, I uh, don't, don't embarrass me in front of your brother, Kale. <laughs> I want to look cool in front of your cool so, brother. So it's like the slide was like, Hey, what's your zero, Kale? Okay, so don't leave me waiting. So, I so left and leaving is basically, I think, front to back, a perfect record. Like, this is basically. Basically, a perfect record. Like he, they just nailed it. This is like incredible, so tight. Um, so I, I really decided because part of what was, it had been a while for me since I had listened to, the weaker thens, like this. It had been a long time since I'd listened to them so much, and it was a great joy. Yeah. But one thing that I did think was true at times, and this is, I think, a little bit of my struggle with them in the past, has been that there is sometimes an element of some of the songs maybe having just what feels like a bit too much schmaltz. So it's controversial. I imagine this might be one of your, your favorites, but for me, I said, and I'm like, I feel like cause we said good things about it, but I said my favorite chords again, it's my zero. You monster. <laughs> I just no. I, I just every time I I love the writing in it, but listening to the actual song, it's for me. It's really the song's presentation is feels a little feels very heavy on the syrup to me. Like it's it's a little like if you're talking about that dessert, it's like it's almost too sweet for me. Um, at this yeah, point, it's in a the little record. awkward. I always found this got a bit of awkwardness to it. What, but like some of the writing's amazing and like like. You know, talking about like the, the 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 notes on the construction equipment that you described, Mason, or you know that the Christmas yeah. lights and there's there's some great writing in it. But I find the song itself is just one where it just kind of like took me uh, took me out. Yeah, so that's uh, so that's my zero. Tough. Basically, like I would I love the whole record, but uh, if I had to pick one, that's what I'm going with. Yeah, it's like I feel like you, you hate love. <laughs> sort of like what you're saying. <laughs> Is that, is that what you're saying? That's the like the only song. <coughs> well, it yeah. yeah. 
I just hate. I don't know, because I would argue that my hero is a song about love. And I might be wrong, because I've, this is a song, well, sorry, Kiel, do you want to finish your thoughts first and then your song? I, I, I'm just, I want to make the distinction, like, I'm only naming it my zero because the, the, the way that the guitar is presented, the construction of the song, I really like the writing of the lyrics, but I think the actual song's presentation, uh, to me, it's a, it's a little too long and it feels a little too slow uh, for me at that point in the record. And so yeah. it just doesn't quite work for me as well. Yeah. Like I still like the song. It's just not quite, it's not quite doing, doing it for me. But you hate love. But I hate love. Um, yeah. The, the other thing I would, I would like, we also just force you to choose a zero on every album. I force you every episode. Every time before we start recording, Kyo goes, please, please don't make me do zeros. And I say, you're going to do it. <laughs> So that's also why. So it's time for heroes. And I believe I went first last time, so I'm going first again. I do believe, speaking of the thing you hate, Gail, that Pamphleteer is a song about love. Now, I don't know. I could be wrong. But the way I've always heard this song is he is basically uh, a pamphleteer, someone who hands out pamphlets, uh, a lowly position in society. Um, I've always heard it as, you know, I, I might just be a pamphleteer, but I'm your pamphleteer. And uh, this song has a wealth of lyrics that is maybe untouchable. It, the, there's so much in this song. You know, I, I read in that article today uh, that that he um, he's quoting uh, a protest song, Oh, What Force... Um, uh, screw this up. I'm just going to Google it really quick. Solidarity Forever. So what is Solidarity Forever? It's a song by Ralph Chaplin. It's, it was used like socialist, communist workers would sing it. Um, and it's, and he, he quotes it saying, Oh, what force on earth could be weaker than the feeble strength of one? But then he, I love how he plays it into his own. He, he turns the end of that quote of one into the beginning of a sentence. So he says, Oh, what force on earth could be weaker than feeble strength of one like me remembering the way it could have been? Yeah. Like that is. And he says weaker than there. And I'm like, is that where he got his name? Because I, it feels like it is. It, to me, if, if someone said, show me what the weaker than sound like, let me know. But you can only show me one song. I believe this would be the song I show them. Uh, it has everything about them I love. Every little... Almost every inch of the song is dripping with the sweet honey nectar that makes this band what they are. And so it's, it's my hero. And uh, honestly, probably one of my top songs of my life. I just, oof, what a great song. Pamphleteer, baby. Also my pamphleteer, because um, that is my hero as well. Um, pretty sure everything, nice. you're, everything you were saying, well, yeah, because I think, I mean, that's what I always thought, right? So the, okay, good. Got, I'm not crazy. Woo. That was like the song, and like that's that's where they got the name. But then, yeah, even just being able to work in Gestetner into a song, um, <laughs> but it's like it's got the force of a novel. Um, I think the the weight of it uh, really is just like you said. I mean, Lucas, you pretty much said everything. I was I was thinking about it. Um, but tell me more. I need more. Validate me. I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think, you know, it's like on the lyrics sheet, it has a quote from Marx and Engels um, that precedes the song. And all that is solid melts into air. All that is holy is profaned. And man is at last compelled to face with sober senses his real conditions of life and his relations with his kind. And I wouldn't read a line like that and think about a song like this. And I think that's one of the... the I think to be another part of the genius of his, you know, his John K. Samson's lyrics um, is just the the perspective that he's able to take, but that's informed by what could be considered kind of a dry sort of abstract um, observation about how people relate to each other, and then thinking about it in relation to someone who's, yeah, a pamphleteer who's, um, you know, handing out handing out tracts on the street. I mean. 
the modern equivalent would be like they call them in in the UK they call them chuggers, charity muggers, um, people who try and get you to like sign. You know, oh yeah, I will that's walk, a great nickname. I will great. walk blocks to not have to interact with with someone like that. Do, do you know what I do? I pretend I'm on the phone. <laughs> oh, I pretend when I see them, I pretend I'm talking to someone. I don't know. How don't, like I feel like a liar, but <laughs> yeah, that's that's less steps, but you know, probably it's going to save me some time. So. Well, but you know, yours more steps better. Uh, it's better for the, your body to work out. <laughs> I just, uh, I just, they're probably as lonely as the pamphleteer in this song. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's epic. It's, it's just, it's an epic song, but it's also just really grounded and, you know, has the, you know, just the moments where you're talking about, you know, like not knowing what to do with your hands, these very just small human awkward interactions. And yeah, I mean, that's, it's my hero. Why do I still see you in every mirrored window? In all that I could never overcome. <laughs> so good. I, you know, you really nailed what you said when you said it hits, uh, it hits like a novel. I don't know exactly how you said it, but mm -hmm. it's, it's true to me. It like, it feels like it, it feels like great, like a, like an important piece of work to me. Anyway, now that we've had our love fest kill, what's your hero? So, uh, my hero is a song I've uh, touched on before, but my hero is uh, "There Is a Fire Door Never Leave Over." It's my hero. My hero of this record. Nice. Yeah, I did write down here. It says that it proves that lyrics can carry a song. Well, I would argue that the guitar playing and the construction of the song. I, I think that I really realized on both of these records is the band as a whole with the lyrics, but they have a great ability to build and create momentum within their songs, oftentimes. Mm. And I really love the way that the song builds. And the line, we already talked about it, you breathe in 40 years of feeling to describe a feeling. I breathe that smoke against the window, trace the letters in your name. Like just such evocative imagery, but also mm. touching on that. And then I think right at the end, really sticks out to me too. And I love this place, the enormous sky and the faces, hands that I'm haunted by, hands imagery again. So why can't I forgive these buildings, these frameworks labeled home, capital H, home. And I really love how it makes, it's this very like catchy driving song, but it's really all around the idea of like, what is home and like, how do you relate to a place that you come from and like for me, it made me think about the fact that I still identify oftentimes as being, you know, from the prairies, even though I've now lived on the West Coast more than I've lived in the prairies through my life, you know, and like how, how the places we grow or the places we're from, how they can define us. And I think the fact that like he's just conjuring yeah. all these ideas and like, like making your brain go to that place um, and make you engage with that through this song, I think is really powerful. And it's just a really great track like i just love listening to it like every time it came on i i wanted to listen to it again i can't wait to get into re reunion tour and and talk about opposing uh, albums but uh before we before we do that i'd love to play the game but first i really need to pee is everyone okay with the pee break i can subscribe i can subscribe Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe.